I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello there, you're welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. We are the podcast that look at the performance and the data side of Celtic. On the line with me, as always, are Juco James and Alan Morrison. Guys, happy Friday. Hello. Hello. TGIF. Hello. Yeah, classic American term that I think, isn't it? TGIF? Thank God it's Friday. Mm. Or thank goodness if you want to be. I, maybe it is. I don't know. We, we, we anglicize it. <laughs> Change one of the words. Yeah, there, there, there's a terrible restaurant that was uh, themed after that in the U.S. Yeah. I think it even found its way overseas. So yeah, thankfully, that, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, that's. Uh, I think. Thanks for that. It. Yeah, <laughs> we've exported it's, all it's, kinds of horrible things. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, war mostly, but let's look into that. Uh, true. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. <laughs> that's a podcast for a different day, I think. But, uh, <laughs> Sorry, we're going to be off piece there. No, we uh, we are in. Uh, the aftermath of a Celtic win in the Europa League, 3-2 against Real Betis on the final day of the Europa League group stages. Celtic finished in third, nine points. I mean, it's really disappointing to be going out of the Europa League on nine points, especially if you consider the strength of the group. But hey-ho, that is the situation Celtic find themselves in. 11 changes to the side last night. Bain, Urgide, Beton, Welsh, Skills, Sorrow, McCarthy, Abada, Shaw, Montgomery, Ayeti. That was the starting lineup against Real Betis last night. It was a crazy game, like an absolutely farcical game in many ways. But the main talking point that we're, we just have to start with is the talking point that everyone's been discussing online. And that is the injury to Kyogo Furuhashi, who was taken on as a sub for Albion Ejeti, who also got injured. And then he himself had to come off injured with a hamstring injury. Ange Postacoglu said after the game, that it was not good that they'll see about their assessment, but it looks like he's going to miss the final against Hibs next week. Albion Ejeti is probably going to miss the final next week. Jota is probably going to miss the final next week. And Jakimakis is probably going to be out for the final as well. So it's not a lot of options when you're looking at Celtic's front three. This was a meaningless game, James. It was Celtic were going out either way. It didn't matter if they won. Kyogo has played an extortionate amount of minutes this year. It just, it wasn't a smart decision for Ange to bring him on the pitch. We talked about it uh, on the Axom show on, uh, on Sunday about how to, um, we'd prefer to address this game and basically wrap up the vital players in cotton wool <laughs> and uh, 
protect them because it, it, it from a risk reward perspective it just didn't make much sense and i think um particularly given the number of minutes that some of these guys have played uh there's pretty clearly something going on i mean again i'm a i'm a pattern recognition guy uh it's what i do for my 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 day job so to speak and the pattern here is obvious i mean we, we've had a onslaught of soft tissue injuries for um, months now. And uh, that, that's kind of classic. And it's a fatigue and overuse kind of injury. And again, I'm not, I'm not a, a doctor or a sports scientist, but um, I don't think that takes some advanced degree to, to understand for fat middle-aged guys like me uh, when you get a little bit of overuse, which happens real quickly. Um, you know, it's pretty easy to pull muscles. And, and so, yeah, I, I don't, I don't get the calculation. I, I, I don't understand it. I get the, um, I get the simpleton argument, which is, well, we only had one striker on the bench, but you know, that, that, I don't think that's good enough. I, you know, I've been a huge, um, uh, supporter of Ange really since the, the moment that he was announced as the hire, um, as soon as I did any kind of homework on looking into his background and, you know, kind of what he's all about and, and his tr- track record of success. Um, but I, I, this, this one, I just can't defend. I don't think it's, um, it, it could have a really rough, um, uh, impact depending on how long he's out for. And that's the other issue with these injuries is you just don't know. Jota's look like it was kind of mild, you, you know, when, it, when a muscle industry like this happens and it goes, could be two weeks, could be six weeks, could be 12 weeks. Um, yeah. Depending on what grade, grade of stretch it is. Is it a tear? You know, all these things. So it's, it's just um, so needless. You know, I, I, we, before we went live, I said, I, obviously different animals, but from a pure risk reward perspective, this is in the neighborhood of going to Dubai. That's how, in my view, how dumb this decision was. Um, so it's hard to defend that kind, that level of just skewed taking risk that's unnecessary. And what's the payoff? I mean, we made some money, so that's good. You know, the club made some money. Um, but relative to what could be at stake, I just, I don't understand it. Yeah. It, there's a lot of ways to look at this. I I'll hold my opinion on the broader aspect of it for just a sec, but anybody who's done a hamstring injury will tell you coming back from a hamstring injury is no straightforward matter. You could be feeling right as rain six weeks after it. And then suddenly the twinge just happens again and you're gone and you just, you actually do lose confidence in your own legs when this happens. And Kyogo, who's such a fast twitch player, who's constantly stopping and starting to go press, that's going to put strain on your hamstrings. That's, that's eventually going to wear out. So he is the type of player that naturally this will happen to if he's overplayed. I, I, I thought it was a silly decision in the end. Kevin 14 is getting a comment. And then this is the point that I sort of wanted to address. He says that Kyogo plays against Motherwell this weekend and, get, and gets injured. I, you're reducing that chance. If you give him the three extra days to recover, that's the, I mean, that's just how the bodies work. If he had more time to recover from last week's game, he may not have this injury. And the biggest issue I have with this is the timing. Because Celtic have nine games in December, and one of them is a final. And Kyogo, even if he's out for two weeks, he's going to miss six games. So that's the impact this could have on on Celtic season. Alan, what what's your general thoughts on the 
the decision making and and what uh, what the impact might be. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's a mistake. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and we, we have to be honest about it. It doesn't mean to say that we're not one hundred percent behind, uh, you know, Postacoglu, not at all. But it's a mistake, and we've got to be honest about that. There's no no dressing it up really. Um, given, you know, I said at the end of the transfer window, there was two two red flags for me. One was central midfield, which I'm sure we'll come on to in terms of what happened last night, and the other was striker. And, and this is for this very reason: there simply isn't the cover. You know, Ayeti has had a, had a chance. I don't think he's got a future under Postecoglou. That's my opinion. Uh, my reading of, um, of of the selections that have happened. He was playing last night simply because there was no one else. Uh, but there was no need for Kyogo to even be on the bench. He should have been in the stand, wrapped up in a big coat. If you look at, um, you know, as J- James talked about patterns, right? So he's come off of nearly a three quarters of a full three quarters of a season in Japan. Right, he never played more than seventy-five minutes for Celtic until uh, the game in um, in Alkmaar, which was a pretty stressful game. Celtic, you know, clung on to only lose two-one and make it through to the group stages. He played eighty-six minutes, and then three days later, he played the full ninety minutes at Ibrox, which is the only ninety minutes he played for Celtic at that time. He then went on international duty and got injured, and we didn't see him again for a month. Okay. He then did not play 90 minutes. We actually played 90 minutes for Celtic, sorry, uh, in the uh, game at Pataudry. But then that was his only 90 minutes until um, the game against Hearts on the 2nd of December. He then played another 90 minutes three days later against Dundee United. Okay, and now he's injured again. So that's very simplistic. But I would have hoped that Celtic would be monitoring things like that and the impact that has on his body and therefore what are the physiological you know, triggers that, that might be there. Is he being overused? Because like you say, nobody sprints around the pitch as much as he does. You know, he he, he is literally doing intervals. <laughs> for, for 70, for 86 minutes, he's doing he's doing intervals. You know, if you know people that don't run, but, you know, jog, sprint, jog, sprint. I mean, that's what, why football's so demanding. Footballers aren't very good at running like 10Ks and marathons, but they're very good <laughs> over short distances, et cetera, because of that's how they train. It's, it's you know, and he's an extreme uh, version of that. So listen, it's a it's an absolutely dumb call. Uh, there was no need to do it, um, and 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 uh, we're just going to have to live with the consequences of it. Uh, what I will say is to be a bit more upbeat is one of the main benefits or one of the main sort of positives that came out of last night was the sense that Postacoglu's philosophy, structure, way of playing, more than compensated for the sum of the parts. Because that team that played last night, I will venture some of those players that will be the highlight of their Celtic career. Okay, yeah. some of them may not even play for Celtic again, right? Ayeti being one of them, and and for them that team to put in that performance against that caliber of opposition suggests to me not that you can just throw anyone in and all win the cup, but it does suggest to me that process and system over personnel um, is our main hope. For the next few weeks, yeah, as, and as, I mean, as, as, a, as, a, as a strength, I I know Betis made changes as well, but to consider the fact that different Liam, Liam Liam Scales started his first European game, uh, well, first European game okay. for Celtic against okay. against this level of opposition, uh, Shaw, Uragide, you know, uh, Montgomery. Mikey Johnson to an extent, like the, these guys. You, if you look at that team and say this Celtic team beat 
the team currently sitting third in La Liga, albeit they made changes as well. It was an extraordinary win in the end, but I guess the, the main issue is that it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really mean anything. And the impact that Kyogo's injury will have on the season could have much more dire consequences than than what the, the confidence that those younger players will take from from winning uh, winning that game. The the one thing that I will say in Angie's defense, because look, I, I think there's levels to where you put your blame. And yes, Ange ultimately made the decision to bring Kyogo on and it was wrong. He made a mistake. But there should be no situation in my mind where Celtic are going into a European fixture with the level of depth in the t- in the team that they have. He should never have had to be forced in and, and not saying he was forced, but in a way he's in a way he actually was forced to make that change because he, you know, he made his, he had his sub striker on, and the only p- person that he had on that bench that he felt that he could take onto the pitch was the striker that has played the most uh, for Celtic this year. So they should have more depth there. They, he should have had more people at his disposal that he didn't have to make that decision in the first place. But, but given that, you know, what were the risks of what happening happening? I mean, they just outweighed, as James said at the beginning, mm. outweighed any any benefit. Because actually, the, you, when you, when you, again, this is this is Monday morning quarterback stuff. I'll, I'll hold my hand up. But actually, Kyogo's performance didn't add a tremendous amount to the game. What changed the game was when McGregor and Turnbull came on, which is an, another area of risk that we introduced. Uh, given that yeah. you know, given given the the lack of, I mean, the absolutely appalling lack of depth we have in central midfield, the fact that you're asking Shaw and Sorrow to play as number eights, <laughs> and McCarthy was like, you know, the Alamo back there shuffling around in his not very quick style trying to plug gaps, right? I mean, it's just a shambles, actually. It's an amazing it, result. <laughs> it, it's it's so unfortunate that this happened because the game was just. Uh, in so many different ways, wonderful. It <laughs> was. Know? It was a brilliant game. <laughs> yeah, and you know, kind of the the island of misfit toys kind of um, lineup, people playing in position. It was, it was nuts. But I, the one thing I just want to circle back on, um, and it'll be the last thing I say on it is, I, because I, I, I've written about this for months now, is I don't begrudge the idea that they decided to take, and they have been deciding to take certain risks as a result of poor squad depth. And that was part of why I was so critical coming out of the transfer windows because, you know, again, um, give a book recommendation for anyone who's interested in this kind of stuff. There's a book called How Nature Works by by Per Bach, P-E-R-B-A-K, from the late 90s that talks about um, complex systems and how these these kind of risk um, issues build up and how they manifest um, and analytically, how do you think about them? And so th- there was a stacking up of risk here that's been growing for months. And so I, the squad depth compounded that risk or lack thereof. The, 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 um, the transfer window multiplied that because we didn't do a good enough job in who we added relative to the system. Uh, the, the issue where I come out guns blazing, so to speak, as a red-blooded American with our gun culture, rhetorically, um, is the fact that the, the game situation, right? So I, I saw someone comment, well, he could have pulled it against Motherwell. Yeah, he could have pulled it in any game going forward. But those games actually mean something, 
right? So if you're going to bet, if you're going to take a gamble, do it when the payoff is at least something worth, you know, winning. Um, and, and so that's, it's the asymmetry of the risk reward here. I, I get why they've been pushed into play, overplaying these guys and flogging them. Um, it's the issue of specific, this specific game with this specific player. And, you know, we, we didn't say, Oh God, the world would end if Duranovich pulls a hamstring. Um, you know, we, it, it's basically, there's, there's two guys that, you just can't lose for any significant length of time relative to the style of play between now and January until we get reinforcements in. And it's McGregor and Keogh. And we talked about this since right before they both got hurt in, in September. And the problem there was pretty clear. I mean, we had a five, six weeks period where style of play changed and results suffered as, in, uh, as a consequence. So, I mean, hopefully it doesn't happen this time. Um, but the potential risk here is now he's out even through the Derby. I mean, if this is a four week kind of hamstring issue, we have no Jota, no Kyoko going into a cup final and a huge Derby that we really need to win. Um, and, you know, so that's, that's the, the issue. It's this, the asymmetry of the risk reward for me. It's not, Oh, we've been playing these guys too much, which it's a own problem. I get why they're doing it. But why do it in a situation where the the payoff is you know nothing inco- yeah. inconsequential? Just, it's six hundred grand or seven hundred grand, whatever. Just to, it was. Rem- just, just to remind people, McGregor and Kyogo were injured at the same time, and, and and in the time that they were both out, we threw away a two goal lead in Betis. We lost in Livingston. Sort of strolled past Wraith Rovers in the League Cup, and drew it home to Dundee United. Yeah. So. I, yeah, that's that's, yeah, that's the consequences of it. There's uh, loads of comments coming in on this on the YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube, do leave a comment as well. One final one before we move on. William Doyle says that surely it must be down to training methods for uh, as many hamstring injuries to be occurrence to be a coincidence. I mean, it, look, who knows? It's a high intensity. It's a it's a it's yeah. nothing but speculation. It's a high intensity game, so you presume they're doing high intensity training, and on top of that you also have uh, all the games. One thing that I will say on that is that managers who do this generally get it done in preseason. They're generally not flogging the players every single week in every single training session. Bielsa, for example, at Leeds, who you know plays a similar enough brand of high-press game, says that his training is largely recovery because they have such a hectic schedule that the players would literally burn out. And um, so nothing, it's nothing but speculation from people who uh, have no idea what actually goes on in these training sessions. Well, yeah, yeah but okay, let's, let's look at the evidence we do have. Stephen Welsh said during the week that um, they, th- they train at high intensity and that the, the guys who are coming into this but game... But everyone trains at high intensity, though. Hmm. Like Premier League clubs, regardless of what game they play, they train at high intensity. But what hmm. I mean is, like, I, I, I guarantee you, without knowing, without being there... They're not doing like, you know, they're not burning out every single training session. No, well, they, they, they can't. I mean, there's, there's, they've only got the minimum number of recovery days between each match that that would be recommended. I mean, these things are never one thing, right? They're never one thing. They're always a multitude of factors. One thing I would uh, maybe just throw out there is, um, I, I do wonder if Postecoglou himself quite grasped the impact 
of the schedule that Celtic have to play for, um, having more than one league game a week is very rare in most leagues. Uh, then all the different, not the volume. I mean, by by a factor of about by by an amount of around nearly ten games, Celtic have played more games in Europe than any other club in the last five years. Any other club in Europe, uh, because of all the qualifiers. Um, I do wonder if he's if he has underestimated the impact of that because Celtic. It's not just about playing the games. I was looking at some of the match reports from his time in um, in Japan, and and he would commonly if he had a game in midweek. He'd commonly make six, seven, eight changes to the team, but he can't do that at Celtic. A because of squad depth, and B because Celtic have to be front foot every game. They have to be winning every game, and I, and I do wonder if he reflects on it if he ever gets a moment. Whether you know that he he and the, the sports science team maybe need to sit down and think: Are we doing this right? We did, I didn't quite expect this, and that's just a thought. Just you know, I'm not based on any facts as such, but it would make sense, right? Yeah, potentially. I mean, look, we we ultimately don't know what impact this will make as well. We, we could get to the stage where you know, you and Henderson becomes the the top goal scorer. I doubt it, but I mean, somebody <laughs> might be able to somebody might be able to fill in. Uh, where Kyogo has left off. We just don't know until, I guess, Motherwell this Sunday and then Ross County next week. But the the schedule is crazy. I mean, <laughs> just looking at it now, they've basically got one, two, three, four, five games between now and the 26th of January. Five games in 16 days. Like, that's an insane schedule to be playing at the level that Celtic are trying to play. But we'll move off the Kyogo conversation for a, a bit because, I mean, it was a win in the end. I know it was the you know meaningless game in the end but let's look at the positives one of them i'm going to throw him out there number one liam scales uh starting his first european game for celtic i thought he was really good he looked very composed on the ball and starting attacks getting involved in the play didn't look like he was any slower than anyone else on the pitch which is always a good sign i think what were your general thoughts here, Alan or James, whichever one, one of you want to go first? Defensively was always where you're going to be watching him. Um, so I'll let you just take the defensive performance first. Go on, James. Well, I'll I'll offer some uh, try to exit. I, I was watching a good portion. I had a prior um, important obligation that I couldn't reschedule. So I was watching on my phone most of the game. Um and, and having to kind of manage what environment I was in. So uh, my level of attention to detail was, was not what it, what it normally would be. Um, so I'll give you some objectives uh, issues. So, um, and I, I don't think I've mentioned this too much, but I'm, I've been diving into this new stats bomb metric called OBV. And it's kind of, um, it, it's, a, it's a value oriented metric. So it's not, uh, it's really trying to take what every action is in a game and assign a value relative to the chances of scoring a goal or preventing the opposition from scoring a goal. So every every event, whether it's a pass, it's a tackle, it's a um, a dribble, a carry, like they delineate all this stuff. So I've started tracking this not only in individual games, but uh, for at the team level, but also at the player level and and benchmarking. So just by by that metric alone. Um, scales was in the 30th percentile of fullbacks on the day, right? So he was kind of in the bottom third of all the fullbacks of the 32 teams that played. Uh, so that's an objective measure, right? again, uh, as far as the value that he contributed. 
Uh, he was, for example, uh, only accurate on half of his forward passes, which when I did the analysis of him in Ireland, that was a red flag, meaning that I was hoping to see him being kind of like an elite Republic of Ireland league passer to think that it might translate better to Celtic. Um, you know, he, he won about, he, he won less than half of his duels. So I think he's got a lot of raw material there. I mean, he looks like a good athlete. I think it's an issue of how that translates into um, productive actions, shall we say. So I think on balance, um, you're suffering from confirmation bias. <laughs> Alan, do you want to hop in? Uh... Yeah, so... I've got the same, I guess, as the, the Optifot mob data as James has got on that one, so I'm not going to repeat it. But what, what I will say is he did try, I think, 20 of the 43 passes he attempted were in the opposition half, which, given the context of the game, I think is it, it, it tells you that tells you more about the style of the, of the team, probably more than it does about skills, skills as an individual. But again, it shows uh, both him and and to a larger extent, Urogidi on the other side, because Urogidi is a centre back, right? And he's he was asked to play an attacking fullback role. So, you know, this is where we are, right? As we as we keep saying. So, and he's not even back, left back like a, hmm? originally a centre back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think skills, three. as we yeah, said, skills, right. skills was of 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 the of the four players in the back. I would suggest only Welsh was playing a role that he was truly comfortable with. So, yeah, that's where we are, right? Um, the other, the other factor to add on to what James has said is, uh, and whilst he has that air of he's nice and upright, he looks physically strong, um, he's, he's composed, he, he doesn't look like he's flappable, he, he's going to panic, uh, and his body shape is good on receipt of the ball, all those little things that, that I like. Um, the only other thing I'll say is that he, he tired really badly. Um, yeah, I don't know when the last time was he played 90 minutes, but obviously he hasn't played anything near 90 minutes for Celtic. There is no reserve team, so so he's literally been training. 70 minutes, yeah, he was he was pretty much uh, gone. He was really struggling. And Joaquim, who's 40 years old, had the run of that right wing for the last, well, 20 minutes, 30 minutes with time added on. For the last 30 minutes, Joaquin had pretty much free license down that down that way. Their, their second goal came from that position. Johnson was trying to cover uh, all, all that side really on his own. So that's just a, a fitness and conditioning thing. And guy, the guy hasn't been played, right? So he's not going to be in top, top, uh, top form in that regard. I don't have enough data on him to tell you about his defensive performances uh, as yet. So yeah, a long, a long way to go, I would suggest. A lot of work, but yeah, you know, yep. he's getting there. He's getting. I'll make you feel better, and uh, Irigidi was in the fifth percentile, so he was uh, he was better than Irigidi. <laughs> well, that's what I was just going to bring up. So Irigidi was playing on the right hand side. I mean, he's an athlete. You have to give him that. I mean, <laughs> some of the tracking runs that he was making, he was making up about five ten yards on on the player that was ahead of him. Granted, he was tracking those players because he probably gave the ball away, but. What, what was your general thoughts on the Urugidi performance then, James? I, I thought he, yeah, he had his pluses and minuses. Yeah, again, this goes back to Alan's comment initially, which is uh, the importance of the system and the structure, where even with some individual players having challenging games, and in fairness to Irrigidi, again, he, he hasn't played at all. He's going up against uh, a legit European-level opponent, even though they were rotating a lot of their players, still very high quality. And he's being asked to play a position in a role that's just, you know, again, he was a right center back at uh, at Wednesday, basically playing hoofball. 
<laughs> I mean, that's the, the, the uh, a lot of long passes and just, you know, get it out kind of um, uh, style of play. So for him uh, to kind of be thrown into this kind of system, playing right back, you know, I, I'm not surprised given that those circumstances and variables that he would have a tough night. Uh, so I think he had a tough night and, um, you know, that that's, it's, it's, uh, I, I feel bad for him in that regard because it's, it's almost like taking one for the team. Now, again, I think the, the, the fact that we were able to win the game, I mean, that's why it was such a miraculous game and so enjoyable in my mind is because it was like, wow, there's so many things here that aren't, uh, well-crafted, shall we say that, um, and we were still able to put on a, you know, a competitive performance. Um, you know, we, we didn't get blown off the field, which is, was given the selection and the level of players and the amount of time that they've spent. The fact that we weren't, I think is a huge credit to everybody involved. Yeah. I don't know. Like it, it was a mad win. Like it, it's, it's such a weird situation where the game meant nothing, but it was such a an entertaining game and you're really enthralled by it as well. So I don't know. I thought, I thought Uragita, you know, He's probably not at the level needed so far. May never get to the level, but he did. He did have a couple of good runs in the second half that exposed the the better side as well. The uh, Alan, I know you want to talk about the midfield, but can we can we just touch on Mikey Johnson before we get to that? Because I mean, again, we're we're seeing another guy who is putting in the shift, doing some really good things, and then doing some really really poor things as well. I, I just I can't decide whether it's down to lack of quality, lack of game time, or you know just unluckiness. I don't know if you can call it unluckiness. Just bad decision making when it comes to his his final pass or his final shot. Yeah, decision making. I would venture is um, not uh, not not. It's nothing to do with luck, right? Yeah, um, and it's something which is probably hardwired from quite an early age, probably about 11, 12 years old, as I understand it, that, that sort of cognitive ability. And although you can train, retrain yourself, it's a lot harder. So in terms of looking at potential of kids, um, if, if you, you know, if you, if you're around that age and you've, and your decision-making skills on the pitch are generally very good and all other things being equal, maybe you don't have the physical or the, um, you know, attributes necessarily, those will may happen as you grow and, and, and train. Uh, but the decision-making aspects are the hardest thing to change and the hardest thing to develop in any player. And if you don't got it, <laughs> unless you unless you've got the, the, an amazing ability to uh, you know reprogram your brain as an adult, um, then you know you're going to make, make some marginal gains potentially. But it's not going to be fundamentally you're not going to fundamentally turn into a great decision maker. And Mikey Johnson doesn't seem to me to be a very good decision maker. Um, I I I, I <laughs> yeah I. <laughs> I, I so far I, I generally agree that's my big concern I think um, I think yesterday specifically again if we just look at yesterday specifically I think it's another example of confirmation bias meaning that um, the, that his 35 minutes yesterday is not the hill to die on as far as no. Mikey Johnson's not playing well so again he, he he was directly involved in the counter pressing that resulted in winning back possession. Uh, he beats a man one-on-one -on -one and then puts a great cross that leads to the goal. I mean, that alone was, that sequence was was hugely valuable 
in in the, the team were willing uh, being able to win the game. Um, you know, things like he had uh, depending on who you know which vendor you're you're, you're talking about a, a number of dribbles in the amount of time that he played that was similar to Jota. You know, when Jota's had really good games, like, you know, 10, 12, 14 kind of uh, uh, events where he takes on and beats a man or tries to beat a man. I mean, Johnston did that over his 35 minutes, including on that big play. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 think, uh, I think he was fine yesterday. I mean, I, I agree with Alan, like longer term, when, when you break down um, – where he tends to, you know, ever the confirmation bias is he really flubbed up that late, you know, pass. Um, so that's the one that everyone's going to remember. And it confirms the bias that, you know, he's having issues and it was a bad decision and not only a bad decision, a bad delivery. Right. So, but there was also a lot of things that he did that were mm. very positive and impactful. Yeah. And, he, and, 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 and to be fair, uh, I really liked his performance against uh, Dundee United. Actually, um, I think he's a he's a volume guy, right? He tries a lot of things, and some of them come off. But unfortunately, it's diminishing returns. And the higher standard of opposition you, you play against, the less opportunities you'll get to take a player on to get that shot away, etc. Um, you mm. know, I don't I don't completely discount the guy. In fact, it's so he's such a difficult player to analyze because you never get a run of games more than about four or five to assess performance against. If I were to go back and compare his performances with the last time he had a run in the team, I'd have to go back like a season and a half or something. You know what I mean? It's really hard <laughs> when he was 21, you know, a year younger. It's really hard to form a definitive view, but I, I probably should try. But then I'd be comparing Mikey Johnson at 19 with Mikey Johnson right. at 22. And, you know, is that, the, you know what I mean? It's like, do you draw a conclusion from that? Or are we just adding numbers up to make them a proper sample size? Because that's what it would feel like. I, I I worry about for him, meaning that kind of within the uh, the, the the general view amongst the support is he, he, even if he ends up coming good, he, he's kind of got the same start or similar start, I should say, to James Forrest, which is you know young guy who gets hurt a lot, who's a little bit inconsistent or a lot inconsistent at times, uh, and Forrest has still got that albatross put around his neck, where you've got a segment of the support that just relentlessly. Uh, are critical of him anytime he's not, you know, uh, top notch. And that's with someone who put in like a, a consecutive four season stretch there of elite winger play at, at, I mean, just a really, really top level. And he couldn't even overcome some of those initial biases that were put up against them. Um, so, you know, I, I, I worry that that could be the same kind of thing that ends up with Johnson, even if he does really start to blossom and uh, kind of grow in and improve his decision-making and all of these other things. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm I, holding my hand up. I'm willing to test my Johnson biases and be proven wrong, and I'd be happily proven wrong. It's just such, so difficult to do it. I have <laughs> the same ones. Agreed. 100% yeah. agree. Yeah. Yep. I got to yep. say, I think you're doing James Forrest dirty there. I think he's a much better player than oh what Micah Johnson is yeah, 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 yeah. and or or was like it, when he was coming through 22 thought, like Jim, Jim Forrest was outstanding when he was yeah. he was younger and he went on to yeah. uh, like people in in hindsight James Forrest will be judged very very uh in in, in, a, in a very good way as opposed to the way that he's currently judged because people will just look at what he achieved and the the numbers and the goals that he scored in in the competitions there was a a, a year where he scored a goal in the the last 16 quarterfinal, semifinal, and final um, in one of the Celtic. I can't remember what year it was, but he's had an incredible career for Celtic. But that's an aside note. 
Alan Shaw Shaw McCarthy and Sorrow. <laughs> is is that the worst? Is that the worst midfield Celtic have ever played in a European fixture? I don't know if it's the worst, but it's the most dysfunctional in terms of <laughs> what we're trying to achieve versus the tools that we're applying to the job, right? It just makes no sense at all. But it shows you the absolute chasm between even McGregor and Turnbull and Rodrick, who are a really poor fit for the system that we're playing, and then the next level down is just an absolute chasm. Um, and no harm to those guys because they all absolutely, you know, in terms of effort and application, you cannot fault their performances in that regard. And in fact, McCarthy, bless him, you know, he ended up winning eight out of 10 duels and I think he led the team in recoveries. So those little niche areas, I say little, I'm not, that sounds patronizing, I don't mean it that way. Those niche areas where he excels, he did really well, you know, but that isn't the, that isn't the job description. The job spec says you need to do these things and McCarthy can do these things really well, okay? Uh, with Sorrow, um, he just he's just draws too much attention to himself um, with referees. Um, he just doesn't have the game intelligence to to uh, control his his physicality. Uh, and we didn't see any of his great vertical passing, uh, which he is really good at. We didn't see any any of it, I don't think, last night. And maybe that's just because he was asked to play that little bit for, more forward and just that that playing five yards further forward just took that part of his game away. And in any respect, I do file him under under a Yeti as someone who I think Postacoglu's already decided has no part of his uh, revolution, unfortunately. Liam Shaw um, is a really interesting one. So, um, and again, I go back to, as people know, I live in Sheffield. So the two boys came from Sheffield from Wednesday. And although I tend to frequent the other side of the city when I go to football, um, the uh, still no plenty of Wednesday fans. Um, Urugidi was the one they were really gutted about losing. They see a lot of potential in him. He was recognised as being very raw, um, which we can, I think we can see at this level. Uh, Shaw, they were really kind of unsure about what he actually is. Uh, and he was th thrown into a really struggling team at Wednesday. And he was asked to do, he played left back, he played centre back, he played midfield, he played six. And they don't know what he is. The one constant about his play is he's all action uh, and he's very physical. And he he is a red card <laughs> waiting to happen. I think he got two in about 19 games for Wednesday. And as soon as he got booked, I was thinking, oh, God. Because at one point, both Sorrow and Shaw were on were on yellow cards. And I was just thinking, this is not good. Um, Shaw, Shaw at least didn't attract attention to himself like Sorrow does uh, in the referee's mind. Um, one th but again, I, I don't know defensively. Um, uh, Shaw, he did win. He won eight out of 11 duels, which is pretty good. He's a big, strong, physical guy. Uh, he was th successful with three out of three dribbles. Uh, and uh, actually, 18 of his 20 passes were in, the, were in the opposition third. So I think these are all real positives for him, uh, to be fair to the kid. Um, what, what I can't comment on until I watch it back and study it properly is his defensive positioning, his recoveries, etc. The, the things I just don't compute when I'm watching the game in, in real time. But based on those numbers, he, he did a pretty good job of a, an all-action all, all player. But what, again, you're not going to get out of any of those three was any sort of any semblance of a final third threat. And it was very telling that really all Celtic's chances other than the goal came after McGregor and Turnbull came on, right? It's as simple as that. Mm. Yeah, the... 
the difference was night and day when Turnbull and McGregor were on the pitch to the yeah. standard of football Celtic we're playing, really. I, yeah. I, th- I think the interesting part was, so if you look at the athletic profile of Soro and Shaw, um, you know, I, w- I would say that the, on, on balance, probably uh, a combination of, you know, lateral quickness and just sprint speed and with Shaw's size um, being better than, than uh, or at a higher level than Rogic and Turnbull. Um, w- the, the the metrics and all the the data i mean the fact that we were, weren't torn apart um by bettis i think to a decent degree was because they did a reasonably good job defending within the context of the system uh so for example their pressing metrics were off the charts between the three of them i mean really good um so th- there, there was a lot of the, you know this is why we talk about the potential of 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 uh, the system if we upgrade the athleticism in those two spots is that that pressing piece now again the, the lack of a, an attacking third uh component for them from those three um you know was was a major issue as alan said but as far as he just kind of decompose it down to the defending and pressing i thought they did a pretty good job yeah, and and the only other thing i'll say is that i i commented on twitter i saw one of the weirdest lines i've ever seen uh <laughs> that uh ismail Soro. I, I saw the lineup and I checked all of the betting lines, and he was six to one for any card. And I have to say, I broke one of my own rules as far as how much I bet on something when I saw that. Uh, it was egregiously <laughs> ridiculous. It was like there, there's a famous um, investor. He, he, he was partners with George Soros back in the seventies, called Jim Rogers. And w- when he was uh, there's a famous book that he was quoted in. Somebody it was an interview book basically asking what his investment strategy was. And he says, I wait until there's a pile of money sitting in the corner. And then I walk over and I pick it up. <laughs> and uh, to me, that was, you know, that was that line six to one on him having a, yeah, there, in that game. it was almost like a guarantee. Uh, I mean, it was free a, money. A license to there are money. certain, there, there's certain people, certain players who you would just like, you would genuinely, if you bet on them to get booked every single game, you'd come out with profit by the end of the season. Like J- Granite Jack, I'd, I'd put in there as well. Uh, but Ismail Asaro, he's just, you may as well give him a booking at the start and just be done with it because he's so rash. And he's, well, especially and against better season. teams. Like anytime yeah. we've played in Europe or against, you know, Rangers, I mean, it's like clockwork. The guy gets a yellow. So to me, it was, you know, free money. Yeah, just before we finish up, then on this, um, we will we'll park the Betis game for for now. Motherwell this weekend again was supposed to be going to this game, but uh, not allowed to now. My government said I'm I'm grounded for the next. You're couple a threat, weeks at least. You're threatened. Yeah, exactly. I don't blame them to be honest. I mean, yeah, come yeah. on, let's. We let's we, we right? heard about we heard about Storm Barra. I don't know if Glasgow was ready for Storm End coming across. Um, <laughs> what what. What's our thoughts then going going into this game? Who's going to start up front? I guess is the main question. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to end end it on a positive because I think Motherwell. This, this is Alan's redemption here. I think yeah, I see Mother, what's Mother, coming Motherwell, here. Motherwell, Motherwell are going to regret this. Motherwell are set up <laughs> and play in a way that I think is going to suit us handsomely. And I actually don't really care who plays up front because I, I don't think that's where. The game, the game will be won. So you know they had set up. They're one of the more rigid teams in the league in terms of the way they play. They play pretty much the same way every week. They play a four-three-three, and they play three forwards, and they play them very high. 
Uh, what that means is, and what Celtic are able to do uh, when they play them is play through that first press very easily. So then you're then you're down to seven players covering the rest of the field, and they play reasonably high. They don't they're not they're not, they're not falling back into a low block. Uh, so what what that what that does is present Motherwell with two massive challenges. First, the first is the fact that Rogic, um, McGregor, and Turnbull are going to be three on three against three hardworking kind of defensive players, but they're going to they're going to make absolute hay for a start. And the second thing is is the fullbacks uh, will have the, the freedom of the park if they can get forward. And this is what happened when we played them for a park earlier in the season. Tony Rawson had an unbelievable game. He had the best attacking numbers of anyone on the pitch. Both the full both the fullbacks had the highest utilization rate as in they had more both of them had more touches than any other player on the park. Now it's not it's unfortunate that Bolangoli is virtually useless in the final third. So so there was nothing came from the left. But on the right, Ralston had the highest expected assist rate. He had the highest packing score. He had over one expected assists. I think he got an assist as well. Two successful crosses. Um, he also had five possessions in the box and two shots. Right, this is the right fullback. So uh, this is this game is made for Juranovic. And probably, and I think and Taylor Taylor tends to do well against this standard of kind of mid mid table SPFL opposition. So my prediction is that the midfield five, the three, and then the two fullbacks are are going to have so much time and space to play in. It, it won't really matter who's playing centre forward. It's my it's my very bold and optimistic prediction. <laughs> See, I I thought for sure you were going to go with uh, your Abada. Uh... Uh, projection uh, yeah. of playing striker. I, I, I mean, I would think that I'd be, would be, I'd the be up logic. for that. I really would. <laughs> that that seems the most obvious. Um, you know, Forrest, assuming Forrest is okay, and and uh, Mikey Johnson on the left. But um, yeah, the, the the other things I can add on on Motherwell. We talked about this prior to playing them last time. Is that they continue to struggle, kind of creating chances from open play. But the one thing is that when they do. So their their average chance quality is quite high, actually. Very efficient, yeah. Yeah, they're very efficient, and they've been finishing very well. So um, you know, Watt's been having a good season, and uh, they've kind of been outperforming XG versus you know um, post shot XG, that kind of thing. And the other guy, I forget Vanderveen, whatever he Van Veen, yeah, Van Veen, yeah. He's he's been pretty good in that regard as well. So and then set piece wise. Um, so th- those are the two big areas that, you know, they'll probably only get two or three decent chances, but they might finish one of them if, if uh, the season to date is any kind of evidence. Um, and I, th- my biggest curiosity is whether they do come in and make any adjustments. I mean, that to me, you know, if, I, if I'm any team like Motherwell, I, I basically look at what Livingston's done to us two games and say, okay, on balance, we've got a bit better players. Uh, let's go do that. And, and you know, they, they've got a little bit better quality going forward where they could cause some more problems. And they've, you know, um, maybe have a better chance of finishing those two or three chances that they might get on the counter. Uh, so I, I, you know, will they play the way that they've played? I suspect now it's probably right. I mean, they've been fairly rigid in that regard. But I I'll be interested to see if they do tweak a little bit and just sit back a little more to close that space between those front three and the middle three uh, and, and kind of assume that Livingston role of, okay, let them have it wide, let them cross in. Cause again, if, you know, based off of who we have available uh, I mean, Kyogo when he's in space is very good at finishing in the air. 
Um, you know, he has a little bit of time, difficulty at times because of his size getting that space. But, um, you know, if the front three is Abada, Forrest, and Johnston, um, you know, Abada's been okay in the air. But again, he's got to have space. I'm not sure he's somebody that's going to go up against a 6-3 center back and win um, uh, in aerial crosses. So I, to me, it's an obvious strategy that they should deploy, whether they do or not. Probably not. But mm. we shall see. Yeah. The, this was the... Sorry. Sorry, sorry, I'll leave you. Sorry, just one little interesting stat is that um, Kelly actually, their goalkeeper, has is the second after Gordon for number of saves he's forced to make every game. Yeah. So defensively, they're not good. I think right. they're the eighth worst in the league in terms of actually the tenth worst in the league in terms of number of shots they allow in total and number of shots in the in the box, and their goalkeepers forced into a lot of saves. So um, again, I, I I think it's a day for Rogic and McGregor and Turnbull to to have a good day. Well. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. And let's hope Celtic can continue the league form even without Kyogo. Uh, this was the huddle breakdown. If you're watching on YouTube and this is your first time, you can subscribe to the channel below. You get notified every time we go live. And you can follow us on Twitter as well, at huddle breakdown. You can get this, the podcast of this, which will be available fairly soon after being recorded um, on Spotify, on iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast as well. So we'll be back again uh, next week with a review of the Motherwell game and probably the Ross County game as well, I would imagine. Give or take. We'll we'll see. We'll organize it. And we'll, we'll see how we'll life works tweeting. out. <laughs> yeah. We'll see how we're feeling. Uh, anyway, James, Alan, thanks very much. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. All right. We'll chat to you next week. Good luck. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.